Saxophonist Tad Shaw has had a busy career leading his own groups and performing all over the world. In 1996, he earned his Ph.D. in political science from Columbia University and has published a number of writings about politics, music, and culture. Now as the editor of Columbia University's Jazz Studies Online, Tad combines his various interests, knowledge, and insight with a website he hopes will bring more understanding and fans to the music he loves. I'm Judy Carmichael. And this is Jazz Inspired. Well, Jazz Studies Online is a website devoted to jazz. It is exactly what it says. For anybody interested in jazz studies, that is for thinking about jazz, for researching it, for learning about it, people who may teach it may want to go there and think about how they're going to teach. We've got resources for them. Uh, It's pretty unique in having a lot of those types of materials put in one place. Scholarly articles about jazz articles by musicians, some of whom are scholars themselves, Um, new breed there that are able to both play and think or explain what they do. Um, There are typically, for a jazz website, audio and video uh, that you can click with marquee names like Eddie Palmieri or Olu Dara, Polo West. We have those things too. Those are educational. Those are part of it. Those are our primary resources. But um, it's a project of the Center for Jazz Studies, which in general has a mission of broadening thinking about jazz and asking how it intersects with many spheres of life, its relevance to all kinds of human pursuits, ways of human interaction. Uh, There's a particular focus in the center on jazz and technology, on improvisation, on globalization and global communication global community building, and uh, whatever the fourth thing is may be coming, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on what that is. I, I liked it because it was so easy to negotiate and inclusive, but not overly so. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, because I've gone to different websites and it all seems like product placement to me, frankly. I'll look at it and it'll be, oh, I can tell they sold so-and-so that or so-and-so's connected to that because there's an article on this and there's so-and-so's playing it, so-and-so. There's just so much stuff that it turns me off. I don't feel I can find anything without a lot of work to find it. And it, it seems like they're saying it's a resource, but it never feels like a resource. It feels like they're pushing something out to me. It doesn't seem that it's it's inviting me in for exploration. It's pounding me over the head. And I was very, very impressed with the site for that very reason. Well, thanks. I'm really glad you thought so because that's really one of our main aims. I should say that everything, all the materials come to us uh, with the exception of major performers who we do sometimes remunerate for events. But it comes to us according to the educational model. It's provided to us free under an open access model. And we provide it too, open to anybody with an internet connection. There's no password protected parts of the site. But there's also something that we're trying to do. And we want we want to broaden the people doing it. We want more help in this. But we're trying to call out of the unbelievably vast, just sheer glut of information that's out there on the web In general, we all feel beholden to the sheer uh, swarm of information. But there's really quite a bit on jazz, and we're trying to pick what we think is really the most relevant or the best or that balances each other 
the balances between the resources mm-hmm. that we have. Um, we draw on the considerable resources and uh, kind of previous experience of the center in doing that. So that's how we're able to make that claim. And but, you're also really interested, and I know this from talking to Bob O'Mealy too, that your mission is in stimulating thought. And that's another thing that everybody says they're trying to do with these discussions. But very often, I've gotten in discussions with people that'll say, well, have you ever thought of jazz this way or have you thought of it in this direction or it's a metaphor for this? And they, they'll go on and on. It can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it seems like all the things that are bad about certain academic conversations. I don't really learn anything. It seems like we're just having a back and forth that's not going anywhere. And I really felt with this site and from talking to you and knowing what the Jazz Studies is trying to do, it really stimulates thinking and you're you're going somewhere with it. It's not just something that it's a bunch of people talking about jazz's metaphor. You're really providing a service and stimulating people to go further in their own exploration after they come to this site. Well, Thank you again. It is about thinking, but it's very democratic too. The idea is we can all think we uh, – and I know we all do and specifically that many people improvise in a lot of different ways. I mean improvisation, jazz's lifeblood practice is something that we all have a chance to experience sooner or later. So that's closer – it's something people may be more apt to think about than sort of musical technicalities mm-hmm. um, of which there's a little of. There's a lot of kind of speculative theory about what improvisation means from a musical standpoint. Um, there's very little transcribed solos and talking about chord changes. Uh, there's a lot of materials out there and we have some links to those.
My guest, saxophonist Tad Shaw, on I Keep Going Back to Joe's. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Tad is the editor of Jazz Studies Online, a project of the Center for Jazz Studies at Columbia University in New York City. This service addresses jazz history and culture and how each of us relate to it and are affected by it. Jazz in the New Deal, jazz in the 60s and all the revolutionary movements, jazz in politics, I have to put a plug there, having come out of political science, that's a kind of connection that I'm making uh, now in this fabulous opportunity to be part of this site. But those are two things, those are two currents in my life that I'm able to put together by being involved in this site. It's great to have that way of thinking too. And it's something that we as jazz musicians, you and I, are very fortunate because we've pursued that as a profession. So we have honed those skills. Everybody improvises from the times kids are always improvising. But then people, I think very often, unfortunately, for certain reasons that are necessary, but other reasons, their lives get more and more the same because they want control. So things are pretty predictable. And I've been thinking about this a lot with the present economic environment, and everybody's freaking out. And I keep wanting to say, welcome to my world, because jazz musicians, or anybody who's self-employed, certainly any artist, we really don't know what's going to happen day to day. And I don't mean just from a financial standpoint. I mean, we manipulate our lives so that there's lots of surprises. So we do that as freelancers. Exactly. Okay. And gotcha. we also have learned skills besides having a personality that can adapt to that sort of thing. Because if we didn't, we'd do something else. But I think you learn skills to adapt to that, to think, well, you know, things aren't going really well here, but I'm going to try this over here. We're constantly improvising, even in just how we live our lives. I once had the wonderful graphic designer Milton Glaser tell me that his career had been as creative as his work. Now, for our audience that doesn't know who that is, he is the one that did I Love New York. He was the first person that did the heart. <laughs> I to think that someone invented that. We don't even think about that. But here's somebody who's iconic in the graphic design world. And he said, seriously, my career, planning my career has been as creative as my graphic design work. I, I, he told me that. I met him when I was very young. That really had an effect on me. I thought, wow. And he said it with pride, that he loved creating his life. And that's what I see with something with what you're doing in bringing a kind of jazz thinking to people. Well, that's certainly the kind of dialogue we want to promote. Mm -hmm. I hope it's not just pushing out. We're, we're trying to build more discussion on yeah. the site, by the way. Yeah. And the center in general promotes all kinds of people coming and talking about these things. I just want to respond to two things that you said. There was a lot there. Um, I hadn't thought about the relation with the current financial crisis, but uh, one touching off point is that in thinking about jazz, what people are both nervous about and intrigued by in it is the indeterminacy. Just the not knowing. I mean, that's been the, <laughs> you know, that's uh, been the source of of a lot of the uh, maybe put downs, but also romance, and also continuing fascination of, about jazz. Now, I could say my personal feeling as a player that 
it's a it's a game you're playing against indeterminacy, but it's there. You have to accept it. Maybe that's what you meant in terms of life. So also, again, I'm just picking up I'm, – I'm riffing and I'm picking out materials from things you said. But I just heard one of the most interesting uh, panels that I've heard since I've even been around Columbia uh, that um, – uh, the, the Center for Jazz Studies sponsored was five philosophers talking about improvisation and ethics. Ah. Okay. And first of all, these are five people that are just very turned up. They're not – well, one of them – at least one of them is a musician, maybe two. But that's not the point. They're, they're just turned on – it was interesting. You know, you, you turn them on and set them going and they started to talk about jazz. But they were also talking – now, how did it relate? They were talking about um, the – the care of the self, I mean, very typical philosophical concern as as I understand it, going back to Greek times, but that you have to you have to be able to um, you have to know who you are to be able to play with other people. Mm. Now I'm just throwing that was something that somebody said, and I hope I've got it right. Mm-hmm. We will have that panel posted so you can watch the whole thing, possibly even a transcript. Um, but when you mentioned managing your career as a kind of artwork, mm. um, at any rate, I hope there's some sell for what the ivory tower could ultimately have to do with the rest of all the other realms out there that it surveys. Who for you are some of your favorites, people that you listened to when you were coming up that got you excited about jazz? Because the fact that you mentioned that, it had to be the people that have the great outs, we always say. You know the ones that the great out. Yeah, the ones that they're in a corner and they get out. That's how I say it. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> I have my favorites now. Uh, right, I'm. I, I pro- should probably resist the urge to categorize them according to how much. Oh you no, know, chances they were all. They would all take fantastic chances, I'm sure. But Lucky Thompson, Don Bias, um, Eddie Lockjaw Davis, and I've got to say John Coltrane, who's influenced everybody. He was the first real jazz saxophone player that I not just liked but really understood. I mean And what did you why did you understand him? What about him made it that you could understand him? I thought he also had the best tone of anybody that I'd ever heard.
there are many people like you and me who have a first memory that's a real epiphany. Wow, I was delivered somewhere. Or this, in my case, hearing early Basie with Benny Moten, I want to play piano like that. But it was also, I want to play piano now. I wasn't all that enthusiastic about the piano. That's what made me get up and think, now I want to practice. So you remember that life-changing. Oh, it was life-changing. And But I've talked to plenty of people that it, it sort of snuck up on them. It, they don't have one thing. They can remember things that they liked, but it'll be this and it'll be that and it'll be this. But there'll be other people that will hear, if they're a horn player, they heard so-and-so play it and they thought, I want to be able to make that sound. But not everybody. Everybody, it's very different, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. That there are so many different ways for this to come in, which just proves the point that that you should expose yourself, your children, everybody to as many things as possible and see what sticks, I think. Yeah, well, my kid has. Yeah. But it does strike me that let's say we know certain hardcore listeners, hardcore fans that don't remember, they don't happen to remember that first moment when it reached them, when somebody somehow showed why it mattered to life. So they tend to maybe assume that the music speaks for itself and that there's not some need to sort of evoke some kind of experience. But at any at any rate, I have this um, opportunity to be part of it's, it, it, it. I'm I'm part of a center for jazz studies that thinks in a different way about how jazz extends to a lot of other kinds of life, and um, it fits with how I've lo- tried to look at it. I love that. Do you because I believe that people. I don't just believe it. I know it because I've experienced it. That. People can be brought in. The uninitiated can. I have a very close friend who came to many of my concerts just because it's me, because we're close friends. And she liked it because it's me. So that's fun. one route. That's yeah. why she came. And I remember the specific evening when she got it, when she got that music could bring you joy. And it took time. It took lots of conversations with me, playing her different things. But I didn't expect it. I figured she's just somebody that music doesn't mean a lot to her. She's an emotional person she and a sophisticated person on many levels, but not in music. She heard the, the pop music growing up that we all listen to. But there was a moment, and she was giddy. She just said, oh, my God, I, I understand why people get so excited. I don't know what it was that reached her. She couldn't articulate it. It was just something that happened. And she was so excited. It was her experience. She was excited for her. And I was excited for her. It didn't matter that it happened to be my concert that did it. It could have been anything. But because she knew me personally, that's why she came. But it was so exciting. And it really changed my life because I thought, you know, if you can reach a person like this, or if the music can reach or if we can figure out ways to make these things accessible or have people understand it in a different way or the very thing that you're doing. I think it's very exciting. Well, thanks. Yeah, it strikes me. um, That's a great example. But there was some kind of moment where she opened up and realized that what she was hearing, she could really trust. And Uh, then and only then got really inside the notes. Right, right. And she because she specifically said, so this is what people get so excited about. So she had never understood that people would go to a jazz concert. I mean, people know with pop concerts, people are excited because of the frenetic energy and, and loud noise and dancing girls in their underwear. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And I'm not putting that down, but I'm saying there's an obvious reason 
why people would be excited about watching a beautiful woman dance on stage. That's not hard to figure out. With a jazz concert, it's not always as obvious why some people seem to be so moved and others are not. Right. Well, with the kind of concerts you're talking about, I mean, the spectacle is in the foreground. Exactly. There's no question. It also has a lot of, you know, the backstory is also constantly. Right. People are just more familiar with it because they are. That's just how things are. Exactly. But, I mean, one thought is if people, first of all, they should experience jazz in person and then they could see sometimes it's nice to think of it as a kind of drama that takes place in front of them. Um, I remember telling some people uh, that I was teaching in a it was kind of jazz appreciation class and um, just to watch how people took fours and to watch like when musicians kind of looked at each other smiling, you know, like when they had really surprised each other, like watch for those moments. And that in a certain way, they're, now they're tapping into the performance that comes out of the music, but it's still partly a visual, partly an interactive either with the musicians or with the audience. It's a kind of show. It's a way of seeing little everyday life things writ large on a stage, mm. which is drama. My guest, saxophonist Tad Scholl, on his composition, Night Horse, with Mike LaDon, 
Dennis Irwin, and Kenny Washington. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is saxophonist Tad Shaw, who is also editor of Columbia University's Jazz Studies Online. When I first met Tad years ago, he was not only playing music full-time, but pursuing an advanced degree in political science. I should say that I was a jazz musician first. That's just a fact. Uh, Later, I got interested in going back to school and got interested in political science and went through that while I was also performing and touring. Um, so I I can honestly say I was applying some kind of life experience there. So I'd had a little college but was really finishing up BA, the whole nine yards through a PhD, more around the time when you knew me back then. Um, and so that's when you Right, you, you cut were in, in the there, thick of it. But, but yeah, <laughs> but I'd already been a player for 15 years right. before that, um, which really shows if you do the math, uh, <laughs> what a spring chicken I'm not. But uh, anyhow, so yeah, I um, I I guess uh, I'll resist talking about the connection between jazz and political science. I didn't necessarily see it right away. I think I was interested in the history of jazz, and that's where I first got interested in just the context in which the arts take place. And Mm. that led me to study politics in certain ways or how it shapes culture or people's understandings. Um, I was interested in social movements, how regular people act in politics uh, to make changes happen. Um, I'll let other people derive the improvisational motifs from that thought. Um, I've still yet to work on that, but that's what I... Again, this is a rough uh, timeline of my CV. Um, after that, I applied all of this experience to corporate communications for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never re- made a round dime. So I got out and happened to do that and gained a lot of skills there and a lot of experience. 
And then you also yeah. had a technical affinity because you've gotten into this with this with the whole site. You know a lot about the technical aspect um, of this or no? Because we I talked have, a bit nev- about, right. about musicians and... I've never been a technical person myself. I've usually managed, say, graphic design people and let them get the results mm-hmm. or technical people where necessary. And there are some um, very good people who are actually in the library, under the, the aegis of the library, who do the technical mm-hmm. work on the site, the actual uh, programming. They built the site out of Drupal, an open access uh, form of code. Mm-hmm. And should put in a plug there. That's another at least open, democratic, I love collaborative this. No, movement. No, it's, it's great. And, and, uh, and, yeah. it's, and you have funding for this, the Ford Foundation. Right. Yes, the Ford Foundation helped make uh, this and other activities of the center possible. Which is fantastic that it's that it's supported, that this sort of thing is supported. Well, it's phenomenal that the Ford Foundation took an interest in us and jazz, but we're very glad of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think that that – we're always hoping that there'll be more support for this because there's so much romance around jazz musicians being down and out. That's one of my my pet peeves that that somehow adds to it, and I I never see that poverty adds to these things. Well, it's a different world. Uh, a rising tide has lifted many boats since jazz was born. I still think maybe jazz changes, but it's still here. There may be still. Danger, though, somewhere in improvisation, in mm-hmm. in improvising, in freelancing, right? In trying different uh, career moves, different kind of danger, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to romanticize it, but um, I guess I'm just mentioning a connection between the all too hedonistic, comfortable present and the uh, rough and ready past oh, yeah. of America as well as jazz. Now, you've mentioned lots of other saxophonists who have influenced you, but what about other instrumentalists? Because you were listening to lots of different people when yeah, you were coming well, up and being formed. Well, trumpet players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the players. easy one for a sax. Clifford Brown and Kenny Dorham. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I, you know, they may have been just as much of an influence only because they, they played so right and logically that it was very easy for me to see what they were doing when I was first listening to jazz. Thank you. 
Clifford Brown on Cherokee, with Max Roach on drums, Harold Land tenor, George Morrow bass, and Richie Powell on piano. Now, how much time do you have to play now? That's got to be very difficult. Well, I I practice every day. Oh, you I do? do some, yeah. How much do um, you practice? How long do you well, practice? Well, not so long. I, you know, I want to make sure the horn is in my mouth like a half an hour a day, mm-hmm. if I can. I, I shouldn't say every single day, but mm-hmm. um, I have to keep it up because then I'm lucky enough to get out and play with people mm-hmm. who are pros and out there all the time when I do work, which is, you know, fairly often, um, you know, a few gigs a month mm-hmm. and, and pretty good things what I have been doing. I just uh, was lucky enough to play with my own group uh, at Smalls, which oh, is great. my picture in the dictionary jazz club, uh, along with one or two others, like uh, Smoke. I'll put in a cl- plug for that. But um, anyhow, well, so they that keep, was a good Well, they gig. keep things Smalls. I haven't been to Smoke, but I know that Smalls, it has a lot of music, which is nice. It's one of the things that I think is nice. They have an early set. They, there's just a lot of people that are playing there, so they they get they get a lot of people out. It's a place we should plug. Yeah, it's it's got really good variety and range of musicians. Yeah. It's it's They're run by open. musicians and uh whatever else. Uh yeah, it's 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 intimate. Um it's a place where you can meet people and enjoy being mm. as well as you know, sort of bow down to the greats of jazz as some more concert hall-like play, mm-hmm. places are. And people really yeah. listen there, and it's got a very nice little atmosphere. It reminds me of the older places when I first came to New York. There's a nice vibe to it. Absolutely. And there aren't a lot of those places around. No, they're not. It's too bad. Yeah. Are you presenting a lot of jazz at Columbia? I I, I don't know. We do present some. Um, we had an evening where we had uh, Lenora Zenzelai Helm, Eric Reed, and Mark Carey, um, Let's see. We recently um, featured a talk and some playing. I actually wasn't able to be there, but it was a, a, a South African lady, uh, Sathima B. Benjamin. Uh, we recently sponsored a master class and conversation um, with Jerry Allen. Um, there was a tribute recently to Ruby Braff, uh, some people that you'll know, uh, Warren Vachet, Bucky Pritzarelli. Howard Alden and Nikki Parat. Oh, great! Um, so I think there's a real balance of of, of styles there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may or may not be. Well, there have been interviews around each one. That's also being an educational place. We want to have people talk and tell their thoughts. About and so you will. You'll have an interview on stage with some of the people when they do the performance, or you'll. Yes, usually somebody is there, talking, getting out of the artist something about their lives or what they think about their art. Oh, that's nice. Say with Jerry Allen, it was our co-director, Farah Jasmine Griffin, who has a new book on, I think, John Coltrane's collaboration with Miles Davis, where that deserves to be said. But so she's a professor uh, of, I believe, African-American studies at Columbia, and then she interviewed Jerry. So a conversation between the two of them as in a certain way equals but different. I mean, yeah. that to me is a pretty interesting conversation. I was not able to be there because of my gig at Smalls. I'm waiting to watch the video of it. Uh, but, uh, now, someday, you these, are you putting these videos up on the right. site? We hope all of these will go up at least excerpted onto, the, onto Jazz Studies Online at some point. We're going through the process of editing them mm-hmm. and the technical aspects of posting them. What do you want to develop in the next year? What are your goals with the site in terms of expansion, More, personally, things that you would really like to see go up. Sure. 
more online discussion using online form the remote can- connectivity to to bring people together to talk about these issues as i say so we're drawing in ideas and bringing people together rather than just selecting stuff and pushing it out although mm-hmm. we're very proud of being able to do that um we want to have more material on jazz in funny places i just mean odd places um i don't know if there's an article about it but my colleague john swed um told me about a jazz scene in Arkhangelsk, the world's northernmost city or northernmost city of a certain population. Um, I'm impressed you can pronounce is, that. I don't know if I pronounced it right. <laughs> I've I've actually heard of it. It's way up there. It's in what was the Soviet Union somewhere. Say it again. Arkhangelsk. Arkhangelsk. You know, yeah, I believe it has the word archangel, archangel in it. There's a tongue twister, boy. Well, you just heard <laughs> Um, you know, I'm just. Uh, uh, but they, but they have a uh, they have a jazz presentation there. They have a jazz scene. They have jazz musicians who are somehow creating and feeding off each other. And I'm trying to remember all the other places, but there's a list somewhere on JSO. Right on. Uh, if you go to the homepage, click continue reading about jazz studies, you can see all of the um, surprising locations where we've found that jazz exists. I like that. There may be many more. We're looking for stuff written about it. There was something on jazz in Finland, for instance, that I liked. I want to put there. By the way, we have a young scholar named Sara Vila who's um, from Italy, and she's giving us all kinds of Italian jazz resources. Oh, great. That's not obscure. Italy is a great is a place that's nurtured jazz, mm. as France clearly has. Um, I think Italy should have its due, and she'll be giving us a bibliography on Italian on Italian jazz, but also Italian sources on jazz. Oh, great. Just something else interesting that's mm-hmm. coming. So um, you will be expanding internationally in terms of the sources that ter- you want to bring in. Right, in terms of the material and in terms of the the even the performances that we feature. There's something coming on, now let's see, um, a, a jam session over the Marcel Network where through live teleconferencing – some people here jammed with musicians in Dakar. How's that for global? Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. And so that's what you'll be doing is is streaming these these performances on the site. That's what Yes. There are some now and there's a lot more coming. We have far more in the hopper than we can immediately put out. And these will be, be performances that, that sometimes will be at Columbia, sometimes won't. Just the, they're, more often than, than not, they're at Columbia, mm. or they might be somewhere in the city at mm-hmm. a venue sponsored by the center. Uh, they could be performances or talks or audios. A huge class of audios are coming to us uh, via the vibraphonist Carl Berger from the Creative Music Studio. No, Creative Music School. Sorry. Um, there was something in the Times already about this, so I think I can announce it. But we're working out the details. But he had all kinds of people like Anthony Braxton, Pat Matheny, Chick Corea, Jack DeJanette, um, members of the um, Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, such as our director, George Lewis. Uh, there will be audios coming out in pieces in a fairly steady stream over the next three years mm. from that project. 
Now, I have to ask you, because you've mentioned all these other people, just being a pianist, you have to tell me about a couple favorite pianists that you've listened to or that you still listen to. What do you, that you put on now? Or is it just horn players? Don't you like us piano players? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, you're asking me to pick my favorites. That's well, no, like no, having to call. Not favorites. No, I'm not that. See, I make it easier. I I talk about about inspiration, people that you might have heard in the beginning that made you want to play or that were particularly interesting, because it's impossible to say all the favorites. There's too many. Right. It's it's hard to think back to pianists then. I might have been more interested in, the front in sax players, although I liked Red Garland, oh, I who love also Red had Garland. that quality of very melodic, just likable lines. Since then, Errol Garner, Ahmad Jamal, uh, the trio players, pianists who had, well, they had, they were great trio pianists, let's say. Um, what makes a great trio pianist? Well, they're, they're total pianists. They're not just blowing, you know, head solo head. They, like Ahmad Jamal has arrangements, um, and that he works these incredible improvisations in and out of his arrangements. He has a whole group feel, a groove that's particularly his own that he gets. It's kind of like uh, Gesam Kundwerk, only music only. <laughs> but, yeah. I'll leave it. I'll leave some things unsaid, unsaid for the you know, Wagner freaks out there. Will now be able to appreciate Ahmad Jamal instantly from that comment. <laughs> um, who else? Pianist. Yeah, tons of. I mean, Cedar Walton did change my life.
He's a piano player who I don't just like or say is great. I mean, he really gave me ideas of what to play, things that I don't know. I've never transcribed and tried to steal exactly, but Cedar Walton thinks at the piano, and he really, at a time when I was older and could play, but he really gave me the advanced class in how to think. Peter Walton, Ron Carter, and Billy Higgins on Memories of You. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. A lot of people don't like to talk about how they're actually creating and what's going on, but you strike me as somebody who's given that thought. Well, a little bit of thought. Yeah, tell me. I'll put out something provocative. I have this tape loop going in my head all the time, and... I'm working from that tape loop. Um, first of all, when I say all the time, I mean all the time. Mm. That is, it's in the background. Times when I'm walking around or just doing something, you know, mowing the lawn. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a lawn, but you get the idea. Mm. Um, there's riffs that I know that are, are I'm constantly turning over in my head. Mm-hmm. 
it's just there. It got ingrained in me a long time ago. I remember as a teenager, probably before I heard John Coltrane, um, I played guitar and it was some kind of electric blues that was going through my head. Um, I've talked to other musicians that say that that's there. That they're always whistling, trying to get it out. A tape loop, now that could sound pretty mechanical or certainly pretty repetitious, but the fact is that's there. I'm rehearsing things. It may play itself or I may put my will into it more and change it. Every once in a while, something really in just more unusual or interesting to me comes up and I'll wish I could write it down or it may not even be. It's something in my head that wouldn't. You know, if somebody could read your thoughts, you'd realize it was gibber- gibberish. Who knows? <laughs> but um, so I want to say the idea of a tape loop because it's a bunch of stuff I've listened to and collected and sewn and spliced together in my mind. And then when I get up to play, I become more active in pushing and pulling that tape loop. There's a groove happening. It's like I'm drawing on a thousand things that I've heard absorbed, forgotten where I heard, or and loved, and remember very much where I heard and just want to get it out. It's like all the flotsam and jetsam of listening that I've done. And, uh, you know, I love to listen. I still do a lot. I make it a kind of reverential activity as part of my day. Um, and I remember, you know, great players like Joe Jones, seeing, he was a real listener. I would, at the end of his life, you could see him going out know, really checking people out, but I'm not like Joe Jones, but anyhow. No, but um, that's beautiful but because a lot of people lose that love. It's, I wonder if, I wonder about that. But for myself, I'm just saying people wonder where it comes from. It's from collecting and absorbing and putting it back to together in some kind of recombinant DNA. When I'm playing, there's a groove going on though. There's another element that I'm trying to create a story just like it's always the same story, maybe, or there's the same story that I have in a ballad or a funk tune or fast or maybe on certain tunes, but I'm trying to tell it over and over better and better, just like some folk storytellers are kind of drawing on some kind of collective t- tradition. And it's it's a story because now you're trying to make it have a beginning and middle and an end. But there's also this groove, this think in terms of circles mm. and, uh, you know, a circle in a more cosmic sense of whatever. When you wake up, is there a tune? Is it automatically happening as soon as you wake up? It can be. I'm going to I'm gonna see if that's really true tomorrow when I wake up. Because I've had that. I've been, I've been singing now, just started that, which is new for me. So I am, I have music in my head all the time, but now I'm really having these in my head because I'm trying different tunes and I'm singing them. And so as soon as we walk out here and I walk down 57th Street, I'll start singing one of these things and that I find I'm actually singing. And that's been a surprise to me that I'm enjoying the process of singing just for me because I was a person who never sang, never sang for myself, never did it. Huh. When I worked out a solo, I never sang it. I had it in my head. So it's a new thing to vocalize for me. But what's happening, and it's driving me a little crazy, is that I'm doing these things so much the second I wake up. I wake up and that tune, <laughs> the tune's going. So I have to work on another tune to get that tune out of my head. Okay. So you know what you mean. You know what I mean. Oh, but absolutely. This this is what people say when you got to live it. Yeah. I don't think you're crazy. Is that what? <laughs> no, I don't think I'm crazy. Other people may have other forms of obsession. 
Yeah, I think it is an obsessive thing. I think that it's it's going around in your head. I would think so. But don't you think that that dedicated artists have to be obsessive to a certain degree? Otherwise, you would never practice. You wouldn't get these things done. Well, there's. They often say they're people that had to do it. I had to paint. I didn't care whether I sold paintings. I just had to do it. Um, well, because what else a, is motivating you? Well, it's a. It seems a bold statement to, to make. I guess. As somebody who's gone times where I wasn't gigging and I'm still playing, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I can make that claim. Saxophonist Tad Shaw on Nobody Else But Me. It's so wonderful to hook up after all these years. Well, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It's been great fun. Very interesting. Thank you. You've been listening to saxophonist Tad Shaw. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one, from my CD High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Glory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. 
I've got a new CD, my first with vocals, called Come and Get It. You can find out about it and my various other activities at judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to NOLA Recording Studios in New York City and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and Steinway & Sons and Sag Harbor Florists. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more about the American Hotel at theamericanhotel.com. And the I Love Jazz Classic Jazz Festival in Brazil, featuring great musicians from around the world, myself included. The festival takes place in Rio, Sao Paulo, Belo Horizonte, and Brasilia. Visit ilovejazz.com.br for more information. Further support is provided by Robert's Restaurant in Watermill, New York, and the New Paradise Cafe in Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at opentable.com. For more information on Jazz Studies Online, visit jazzstudiesonline.com.